Are you listening? Hitte imaska. Ascolt? Titko geshnika. Stai ascoltando? Vi slušajte? Nije tima. Atem makshivim? Estas escuchando? Hören Sie zu? Dari gushmidi? Dame sambrocho? Heltesma. The Global Voices Podcast. The world is talking. Are you listening? Hello, world, and welcome to the Global Voices Podcast. I'm your audio friend, Jamila, and I've got some company for this edition. Please introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Astéas Nasouras. Uh, I'm uh, the Global Voices author for Greece and uh, the editor of uh, Global Voices Greek in Lingua. I'm also a photojournalist, and I keep up with uh, Occupy movements across the world, mainly the Greek sports movement. And in which case, then, it's a very welcome change to have some company on the podcast who's such an expert, because for this edition, we're going to occupy the podcast. And we're having a look at how the movement has spread and what it means in different places. So, Asteros, you've been following the global Occupy movement for months. When did you first see it emerge? Was it Wall Street, as some might think? Or was it actually in Spain with the anti-austerity protests in Europe? Uh, Spain definitely kicked off uh, the protest movement. Uh, in its present form, I mean, the indignant camp, the, the indignados. And this is uh, mm-hmm. exactly the kind of protest movement that spread to Greece. We've been having protest movements against austerity for uh, for a couple of years now. You could say Greece is in a continuous protest mode for uh, the best part of uh, three decades. But this is different. You see people from uh, diverging political views, putting aside the differences and coming together in uh, general assemblies, mostly marching pro- uh, peacefully. And this is a big change. So Greece happened, I should say, 15 days after Spain, and uh, it quickly took hold in uh, the Greek public sphere and lasted until uh, the summer when it was broken up by violence and uh, the habitual tendency of Greeks to love their vacations. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like the weather does indeed have a bit of an effect on these protests. It's very cold in many of the countries who are protesting at the moment. But just going back to the beginning of that timeline, were the European movements more influenced by, say, the Arab Spring? Definitely. There was this mostly empathic connection with the the causes motivating uh, the Arab peoples. There was this sense of solidarity that wasn't apparent since decades ago, one might say. Of course, uh, social media helped people connect to each other and bypass the traditional uh, media narrative. So you had people talking directly between these countries, Greece, Spain, and all the Arab countries, in English, of course, which is the lingua franca of the movements today. And uh, so it's, it spread, uh, and from there spread to Wall Street, to New York City. Actually, there's this timeline recorded by Time magazine, which is very pretty accurate. And uh, they went on to interview people from the Occupy movement, which is a different tack to the media narrative that we're used to. So you can say that these people protesting are also changing the media. Because at the same time, I guess they are producing their own media along the way. But to take a look at the example of the Occupy style movement in Europe, Maria grobowski Care has been out in Denmark to meet people at a gathering and to find out what their methods and messages are. Here we are in the city hall square, the, the place where you're supposed to go to get advice. Have any of you been in there to get advice? My name is Thomas Osler and I'm called Vokter by most people, which means guardian. Because a long time ago I used to blog a lot about politics and religion and people meant that I was sort of a guardian of the truth and guardian of the human rights. And when the movie V for Vendetta came, I took it 
upon myself to be V for Wachter, and that's why most people call me Wachter today. I started the Occupy movement sort of here in Denmark, or at least I kickstarted it by making a Facebook page called Occupy Denmark. In the beginning it went very slow to get any people to like the page and come in and debate, but then the media got a whiff of it uh, right after the big 17 September thing on Occupy Wall Street. And they started interviewing people from Occupy Denmark and me too, and then all of a sudden it went from two, three hundred to three thousand people in just two days. And we had our first uh, protest on October 15th, together with uh, Occupy Wall Street and a lot of other people all over the world. As far as I could count, about 1,200 cities all over the world had a demonstration at the same time. At the moment, things are very slow. It's cold and it's dark and people are depressed because it's winter here. But we are working in the background. A lot of us are having meetings, uh, having debates about what to do and how to organize ourselves. And we plan a lot of things for the springtime, just as Occupy Wall Street is also planning a lot of things for the spring. Because, let's face it, the weather is not really very good. And the thing is, in here in Denmark, people live in a bubble in this country. They don't really feel the crisis yet. And we are sort of waiting for the youngsters to wake up, the youngsters who grew up before the crisis, when everything was for free and you could get everything you, you wanted. When these youngsters find out that it's not so, for their future. We hope they will wake up and then we'll be there to support them and back them and help them organize themselves. All us old farts that are doing this today. <laughs> the Occupy movement is, uh, it actually came from Greece and Spain where they started uh, protesting a couple of years back when they started cutting down the social programs. And in Spain, uh, the movement is called Indignados, which means the angry ones, the ones who are indignated that things are as they are. And what really started in the United States, I'm pretty sure, is uh, all these bailouts for the banks. While people are getting, uh, increasingly more people are getting unemployed. At the same time, they were bailing out banks with billions and trillions of dollars. And this woke up a lot of people. And the people in the United States who are protesting are not long-haired hippies. From what I've seen, it's just ordinary people, most of them, who are dissatisfied with the situation. And actually, it's the same here. Most of us here are not hippies. I've never been a hippie in my life. I'm actually from the opposite camp. I used to be one of these motorcycle gang members, but I turned around when I was young and became politically interested in, uh, in things that are going on, and that's why I'm uh, supporting the Occupy movement. The way I see it when we have these debate meetings that we have a lot of right now, it is very different kinds of people who come there. We have a former millionaire, 62-year-old former millionaire, who is coming to support us and help us organizing things. And he's still got a lot of cash, so he's helping us out financially with some things, which is really awesome. He had some problems with the government, and he became one of the 99% because of that. But most of us are just ordinary people. I myself, I'm a computer technician without a job. And most of the people here right now are without jobs, actually. A few of them are trying to get through an education, but they are educating themselves through unemployment. So that's why they're here. Today uh, it's a world demonstration and uh, we did a lot of legwork to get a lot of people here. But as you can see, we're only about, what are we, 40, 50 people maybe, which is a shame. But again, as I said before, Denmark is sort of living in a bubble. We don't really feel the crisis that hard yet, but we will. I'm pretty sure this year is going to be the crucial year. At the moment, the government are planning more bank bailouts and they are planning to not revoke the tax deductions the rich got, 
which is I think is a very bad thing. And at the same time, they are cutting back on social programs. So hopefully it will be more. But today is a demonstration that goes around the world. I don't know how many cities the demonstration is, but I heard the number is far over a thousand. So we thought we would go out here and at least show our solidarity with the rest of the world. Asteris, the idea of a protest movement both off and online appears to have ignited public imagination. So while struggles continue in Egypt and Syria are still as part of the Arab Spring, more recently the internet went dark to protest SOPA, the Stop Online Piracy Act and PIPA, Protect IP Act in the US being passed as law. So it kind of means there's a lot happening all at once. And to make it come to the top of mainstream news agendas, it seems a little bit difficult to do this. What is happening when it comes to protests like Occupy? Are they getting crowded out when it comes to getting public attention? Well, as we've seen uh, in 2011, most of the major news stories were interconnected. People um, frequently migrated from one story to the other and uh, kept their attention um, to many stories at once. The reason for this is that they are connected, actually. You see uh, protest movements that uh, haven't garnered any attention from the public media sphere, like the Nepal protest for uh, constitutional amendments, or in Thailand or in Chile for the education uh, protest, that haven't so much as uh, raised the interest of, of public awareness, but are still there and still connected. So it's mainly a caring problem, not an attention problem as such. You see people that are influenced by all these stories get out and read more find out about more things. For instance, Global Voices readers, they're more connected to all these stories than others. So I think it's uh, mostly a movement to shift the narrative as well. The narrative in Greece, for instance, has always been for months now a psychological warfare to get people afraid of what comes next. So they can break out of this vicious circle and cannot find the other stories. It's certainly easier for, say, people like you and I, who probably have news streams like Twitter and other places practically plugged into our veins half the time to follow everything. But if you are an average consumer and you come home from work to the news, you may be watching a a mainstream outlet, they may actually get tired of seeing the same thing. So do you think it is a test of trying to find new ways to present a message? Oh, yes, definitely. I think the movement themselves are facing challenges to not exactly repackage their message, but to make it more concise, to make it more approachable to the people. It's the same challenge that the mainstream media is presented with, and that's why they're in crisis. You see the crisis sweeping the media across the world, outlets shutting down, you have the Hackgate scandal with the Murdoch Empire, and people are sort of in an uproar over who to believe. I think they're connecting with themselves more after this global Occupy movement. And you saw that uh, on the day of uh, global revolutions, so to speak. The amazing part is that it does actually reach outside of the echo chamber of uh, social media. You see people who aren't connected, who are offline, either going online to meet the stories or asking people, conversing with people online to find out about updates. So it's another interesting aspect of what's happening. But of course, you know, it's not easy to always be out there on the street and protest and record. And uh, that's, of course, a challenge that faces uh, the protest movement. If the mainstream media is not covering protests in a way that a movement agrees with, then many groups are actually adept at creating a web presence or indeed they're in print media. Here in London, the Occupy movement outside St. Paul's Cathedral is presenting a newspaper called the Occupied Times of London. So I went to go and talk to Steve McLean who is the editor of the newspaper. It's a newspaper of and for the London occupation. 
covering what happens with Occupy, but also uh, based on the issues inspiring the movement. And it's out in a physical form, which is interesting. So it's not a, a web-based news organisation, it's also physically a traditional newspaper. Why, why that format? We do have a website as well. It was the first week of the camp that we started making the newspaper. And in part it was because the people camping out didn't necessarily have access to the internet and stuff to get the news where they normally would. But also it's a really good form of outreach that you can just hand people passing by a newspaper and I think they're more likely maybe to read it than if you give them a website address and that of course they can go and read it on the train, other people can see it so it's it's got a sort of viral quality of its own in newspaper. Take us back then with the origins of the newspaper. In the first week why would you come to the decision that you would need a news outlet? I didn't come here intending to even do much writing about it. I came as an activist, didn't even bring my laptop. But I'm on Twitter a lot and I was tweeting about the occupation. A lot of people who follow me were saying, oh, we need more, needs to come out, we need the Occupy's own version of events. So there was a GA meeting and then you break off into little groups to come up with ideas and stuff and we form one. And I was blogging for the Huffington Post at the time and I said, you know, I do this and I could write a bit from our perspective on this. And then through the conversation we thought, well, why don't we make our own newspaper? So we put it back to the GA and people said, yeah, good idea. Within nine days of the occupation starting, we had the first issue up. As a reflection of some of the global GA meetings that happen in occupied camps, it seems that it can be, well, certainly discursive if not passionate meetings. Is it difficult to actually ensure that something comes out of it? Because, I mean, the, the Occupied Times is... A wholly formed, beautifully organised production. I'm guessing people's expectations might be that if people are having disparate feelings about how to present themselves that it's harder to bring something out of this quality. The idea of the newspaper, we've always kind of embraced the complexity and the, and the diversity of views. Obviously we try and give it a look that's maybe not quite so as passionate as some of the discussion that goes on, but you know that all feeds into what we end up producing. When you have meetings, yeah, things get heated because you're talking about important things that matter to people and it's real people being able to discuss it for themselves. I mean, perhaps the fact that, you know, in Parliament, it's people making decisions on behalf of other people who aren't going to feel the consequences, but they hardly behave themselves very well. So, How does this compare then with mainstream editions? I mean, obviously, the Occupied Times has a sole focus on the particular themes and ideas that are relevant to Occupied protesters and people who are interested. Do you feel that mainstream media is covering in enough of the issues or that this would compare with what is already being put out through mainstream outlets? I don't think the mainstream media covers it enough and I think that's why you know a lot of the members of the public when they speak to us say they're really grateful that we're doing this because they want more coverage dedicated to these things you know the things that kind of matter in, in my view but I think it's no surprise because when you've got the mainstream media if you look at the, the sort of media industry and the journalism industry and how it, it suffers from a lot of the same problems as the as politics where it's quite nepotistic it's not very representative of the general population so of course that's going to the issues that get covered and, and the, the direction of those things are going to be influenced by the people who are working in those positions. How many weeks has the camp been here at St Paul's? It will be the hundredth day tomorrow I think or today. And so to keep up momentum for information how do you get around the idea that I guess people just lose interest they have a short attention span sometimes for themes and ideas and unless it is something like the recent court case or a possible eviction or some sort of highlight of an activity they may not necessarily concentrate on the underlying themes of why you're here so how do you engage them? That's part of the responsibility of a social movement in a way that you've got to move and you've got to inspire people and change and do different things. But also it's hard because if the issue kind of stays you know, stationary, it's hard because you're still fighting that same issue. But I think that's why we've seen 
you know, especially over recent years, a lot more of kind of the carnivalesque kind of aspect of, of protests coming in to, to make it something that's more accessible and more fun in some ways. And things that I think UK and Cut have been brilliant, the way that they've, you know, had these initiatives and, and brought art and humour into a lot of it. To, to get people interest and, and those things are really important I think for getting the public on side. And just to get down to the nitty gritty, if somebody else wanted to do something similar about their own ideas or movements, what is it like trying to produce a weekly edition of a newspaper because traditionally you would have an entire company that does this. How many of you are there and how does it work? There's not many, there's sort of eight, ten people but quite a few of those are people who work full time so they've got limited time they can give. Our designers are absolutely brilliant and they put a lot of time in as well as doing full-time jobs and apprenticeships in design. I'm the only one who kind of is working, as you would say, full-time on this. And it, yeah, it is really hard because we've got a small team and we're right up against it a lot of the time. And without having any sort of resources or funds to draw on, it's about you know people finding ways of putting their time in and being able to do that so we, we'd like more help if we could get it but yeah it's I mean it's quite hard work but it's worth it. And how do your news gathering methods compare in comparison say with somebody who might take tweets and updates from others and, and use it as an aggregator you're generating original material as well aren't you? Yeah this is something that we've played with different ways of doing things as we've learned and progressed but what we're finding is the best way because we've got this occupation and all these working groups and everyone working together and who are all kind of on side with the, with the same thing and also like the newspaper. We're increasingly trying to get people to help out as citizen journalists. So if there's a working group who are doing a new, working on something new, they might speak to me and I'll say, look, if you could kind of write up the facts or a press release kind of for us and then we can flesh it out into a proper news story. So it's about trying to draw on people so it's quite semi-biotic, you know, rather than us sending a reporter to cover things, we're encouraging people to do half of that and liaise with us so that we can get more information in there. How long do you think you will be doing this? Because, I mean, the occupation continues and has also taken up residence in different parts of London, not just where we are now outside St Paul's. Will it continue as long as the movement does? Yeah, we'd like to think so. The hard thing is making sure we can fund it to, to actually pay to produce it. But, you know, as long as the issues are still issues, We'd like to keep covering it, and I know a lot of people would like us to, but it's just the logistics of if, if we can raise enough funds to do it. Obviously, when the physical occupations go, if they go, our sort of point of contact with the public where we've taken donations to produce it, that might not be able to operate anymore. We've also tried to raise some money online to do it. If we could do that, I'd love to carry on doing it, and I know the rest of the people behind it would love to carry on doing it as long as we could. So what do you think, Asteris? Is printing a paper good use of resources or are they preaching to the converted by telling the occupied people what's going on? I don't think it's a, it's a futile uh, exercise uh, in totality, but it depends on the, the audiences uh, it tries to reach. I mean, you know, in Greece, we have this traditional dislike and uh, lack of trust in the media, and it's not entirely undeserved. You have this free press movement that sprang in the last decade that also hasn't yet garnered the respect and trust of the audience. Maybe, you know, uh, the idea of setting up alternative uh, media like the Occupied Wall Street Journal and the Occupied Times can break up this conundrum of how to put out the stories instead of just the glamour and photos of uh, riots. I learned in the Occupied Times about how people view their own struggle and uh, the challenges they, they face. It's quite interesting. We could have the same, you know, idea in Greece as well.
In which case, the protests themselves continue through good weather and bad, it seems. In America, they continue to protest with no real sign of stopping. Friend of Global Voices, Frances Harlow, is an independent radio producer, and she went to report from the Portland Occupy Camp in Maine and recorded this piece while attending the Salt Institute after graduating from Brown University last spring. Frances counts herself, too, in the 99%. So we can improve the funds and then we can work on finding a driver for the truck. About 30 people sit on makeshift benches arranged in a half circle. They huddle together under blankets and donated jackets. It's dark. A fluorescent battery-powered lantern sits on an upside-down laundry basket in the middle of the gathering. The hum of a generator can be heard in the background. Everyone raises their hands in the air, resolutely wiggling their fingers towards the night sky. Looks like we've reached consensus on this issue. Let's get warm. This is Occupy Maine, and they've just decided to rent a U-Haul to move over 60 bales of straw. An unseasonable October snowstorm almost demolished the camp last week. Now, the occupiers are working to fortify against the impending winter. Straw donated by sympathetic farmers can be used to insulate tents. She's in D.C. at the Occupy right now. That's why she can't bring it this weekend. Because what I was going to say is a good... Every day at 6 p.m., the occupiers meet for General Assembly, or GA. Along with the hand signals, GA's specific structure of announcements, proposals, and open stack, the movement's term for the queue of people waiting to talk, is meant to ensure that everyone has the opportunity to speak. Officially, there's no leader, but one person facilitates GA to enforce procedure. It's a tough job. The facilitator has to tell people when they're off topic or rambling, and people don't always respond well. No one is boss, but I need to make sure that everyone feels like they can talk and that we stay on subject. I'm not trying to tell you to shut up. Tonight's facilitator is Jake Lowry, a USM student and self-described apathetic punk rock kid who checked out Occupy Maine on its first day and never expected to keep coming back. Even to the point where now I'm considering dropping out of school for this semester just because just feeling this this energy and like this pull to be involved in this way that I can't describe that I've never experienced before. My father's actually a Congregationalist pastor, and he understands because he has felt that calling within the context of Christianity, and I am also feeling this pull. So, you know, he's having a hard time (laughs) convincing me that I need to stay in school when he basically followed the same call. Since then, he's been to every GA, except when visiting Wall Street on the weekends, and often facilitates when no one else volunteers. Since it's consensus-based, you know, it's really hard to reach consensus on a lot of different things. Well, what's funny is the GAs have been getting, as we get more used to them, they've been getting longer and longer because we just keep, I guess these issues just keep arising that need to be talked out and need to be addressed. For example, we had a couple of days ago, some ladies show up who took their shirts off and were topless. And that was kind of a big issue because although, you know, most of us support the idea of a woman going topless, the question became, was the movement about individual expression or was it solidarity and maybe making people who have different value systems comfortable standing with us? So that conversation took like an hour. That's sort of how GA goes. It's just long conversations, but that's kind of the purpose of all this, I think. One of the last dissenters in favor of toplessness was a homeless veteran with more lecherous than political intentions. But consensus means everyone has to agree even people who don't seem to care that much about consensus. Eventually, he relented. A resolution was passed banning toplessness. 
even if somebody doesn't agree with the decision that gets made, there's a point where there's sort of an understanding that, okay, this, this seems like it's good for the group. I'm not going to block this issue. And I think, like, it's, a, it's important um, not only just that everyone agrees, but that everyone talks about um, why they might disagree. And then amendments will come from there. And it's, it's, it's been really interesting because I think we've always been taught that, like, you know, we're so divided and we have, we have red states and we have blue states and no one's ever going to agree on anything. But I think we've already proven that wrong. We have so many different sorts of people involved and somehow we can still reach consensus. The different types of people at Occupy Maine are indisputably divided along class lines. Those who occupy full-time and maintain the actual physical encampment are often homeless and think that GA is just another useless bureaucracy. There's one problem here because I think some people at camp don't know about all the work that people here do outside of camp and, and uh, just don't understand what actually gets done here. If there's actually anything that actually gets done here because they don't see it. Other people, like Jake, believe that the tent city is a metaphor for a radical new political philosophy. They can't be there all the time because they have school, jobs, families, and homes that need their attention. So they come to the meetings and use the hand signals in an effort to promote consensus while the occupation's infrastructure is constantly being reorganized by people who don't necessarily even believe in the value of consensus. This causes a lot of tension. To, to organize donations in the um, Yeah, we have stack open. Here's John. He works in the kitchen tent and lives in the encampment. John meandered over to GA to complain about people who think they're indispensable. What I mean by that is that when you get so comfortable, you feel that you own the property, you feel that you're running things, and without you, nothing can happen, and you tend to get something which is called a swollen mouth. To his left, Rachel, one of the most strident supporters of consensus, performs the wrap it up gesture. As GA, yeah, you can push it faster, ma'am. I don't understand. You don't slip here, so I'm going to speak slowly. I'm going to take my time, all right? At this point, Rachel, who John chastised for not sleeping at the camp, walks away from the circle. She's crying. Nobody follows her. After a few minutes, she returns, wiping her eyes and sniffling. John's still talking. Jake's supposed to be facilitating, but there's no process for an outburst like this. Um, I, I have to tell you, you know, at certain points hey, that we've got to move to me, on. Truth, and I ain't afraid to tell you the truth. You we don't suck. interrupt each other. I That's suck. a big piece of it. You just interrupted I know. I know! I'm fed up! So walk away. Oh, John, I did! We're going to work you're... on how we're going to do this. Not because I just told him the that just got Vibes! Back. Vibes! I'm calling vibes! Who's vibes? Occupy Maine officially decided to stay in the park despite rumors of eviction. Only time will tell if they succeed. But one thing is certain. Big decisions need to be made, and nature won't wait for Occupy Maine to reach consensus. You're all amazing in your own way, and this Occupy is going to work despite the difference. We are going to come together and it's going to blow up. Yeah. Thank you, Mysterious Voice. Sarah, the Occupy movement can seem a little bit divided when it's viewed from the outside, and indeed putting very passionate people together in the same camp can lead, of course, to disagreements. But is there a risk of fragmentation and losing sight of what people's objectives are? Well, it's a dynamic challenge. On the one hand, you have this issue with fragmentation and the lack of focus. Because you see that the general assemblies usually are focused on the bureaucratic sort of elements, voting every day on, the, on issues. 
and uh, having trouble achieving consensus. But on the, on the other hand, uh, you get people together in the same space, same physical space, and then something sort of magical happens, you know. People are becoming inured to direct democracy and start talking to each other. And this is an amazing thing to see. I think the challenge is there, of course, and I have seen the Greek protest movement sort of break up and drift away, but they're out there on the, on the sidelines, and maybe they are talking to each other in secret channels, you know. We have seen them come back on several occasions in Spain and in the U.S. For instance, the great march through the Brooklyn Bridge after the Zuccotti Park breakup it was amazing to see. Everybody had written off the, uh, the Occupy Wall Street protest. I think that, yeah, probably we couldn't stay on a public square forever and talk to each other and, you know, reach decisions, but it's an exercise in democracy and it's useful. Do you think also that it's a physical pressure as well? Because there may be people who are accustomed to living in flats and houses where they normally are. And to go out into your city and live in a tent for however many weeks or days, you're going to get tired, you're going to get cranky, and that's going to probably affect the way you deal with other people inside a camp. That's one similarity to all the protest movements, all the indignant and occupied protest movements. You saw people doing that, even in adverse weather, and becoming more tolerant of the daily struggles of, for instance, homeless people. There's been a wave of evictions throughout the Occupy city, and you see people not tolerating that, rallying to stop evictions. This is a direct consequence of people living out in tents, I think. And also you see similarities in all these Occupy movements in the way they are communicating to each other. So maybe the solution itself isn't to just live in a tent for a month, but it helps you uh, develop an idea of what it is to, to share a physical space, like camping in the summer. This is different, but still social media by themselves are not enough. You have to go out on the street to meet your people. Well, it's never going to be easy to fit the entire Occupy movement into one short podcast, but hopefully by occupying this space with Asteris for this edition, we've shed a little bit more light on the movement and where it stands for now. There's a whole lot more that you can read up on and get to know about by looking at the Occupy movement on Global Voices. You follow the authors for yourself as they update by going to globalvoicesonline.org. The Global Voices Podcast. The world is talking. Are you listening? Thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter at Global Voices. You can follow Global Voices stories on Facebook too.